people need to be focused on a specific outcome mm-hmm. through a vehicle versus you do this, then you do this, you do that. Like that's not a secret right. source. Every company has a secret source. You just got to figure out yours. So. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, I'm super excited about this one today. I would like to introduce Mr. Ravi Rajani. He's a founder at Ravi Rajani Consulting helping B2B sales teams ditch feature selling so they can sell more through storytelling. Now, I grew up on feature selling, so I'm very excited for this one. He's trained teams from Oracle. I can't even say this one, Naya, is that right? Kong and Convoso. He's the host of the Influential Communicator Podcast, and he's a keynote speaker. One thing I like about your story, Ravi, is that you're talking about feature selling versus story selling. So I really want to get into that. But first, I went through your website, I checked out your backstory and everything. Can you just tell us a little bit about that backstory and how it shaped your career today? Well, dude, before we do any of that, if for those of you listening, right, or watching this right now, if you didn't feel like you were in a cinema, watching a movie by like Paramount or I don't know what, what are the big studios out there when it first came on I was like damn like what show am I on Oprah like what, what show am I going on man? So, uh, you know kudos to Ryan for the intro man I like it Ryan um, but no thank you for the kind words brother yeah I've trained reps at all the different companies that you spoke about through my different programs and teams themselves um, mainly in the SaaS space these days but um, yeah dude my story is is one which doesn't start conventional, meaning I didn't pop out my mother's womb and go, yeah, I want to be a speaker and storytelling dude. Like, that's just not how I don't think anybody's story began. But for me, my mum decided to Miyagi me when I was early on, meaning she was secretly teaching me the art of presentation skills and storytelling without me knowing it because she shoved me, dug into the same dance school as my little sister when I was about, man... I was about eight or nine years old. And Doug, here's a crazy thing, man. Internally, I was like, this is dope. I've never felt more alive. But externally, I was petrified that this little dirty secret I had that was just going to get out to everybody in school. And it did, by the way, but that's another story. Eventually, my mom let me quit. And then I stumbled into theater as a teen. And growing up, everybody would always say, yo, Rav, are you going to take this whole speaking, presenting, or acting thing seriously? Because, man, I think you're pretty good at it. And in my head, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, no way. <laughs> like, my ego is telling me to go make some money, get that status, get that money. And hey, that's what I decided to do. I finished up business school. I had watched the movie Wall Street one too many times with Gordon Gecko, and I ended up in the world of corporate sales in investment banking. And on paper, man, I had everything that I thought I ever wanted, right? And I got there and I was like, ah, why does this feel off? I slowly started to feel out of alignment. And to be honest, I thought I was meant for something different but I didn't know what it was. And eventually in 2016, August, I decided to press eject, man. And I built what I now call a portfolio career at the time where I was in the world of early stage startups in the world of sales and sales leadership. I was dabbling in the world of TV, radio, coaching and all this good stuff. And I realized three things over time, Doug. Number one, why is it illegal to bring your true personality to the table in sales presentations and demos. It's like, we have to be this professional version of ourselves. Mm -hmm. What do we think? And the second thing was, was why is there so much feature dumping versus connection focused presentations? And the final thing is, is why is there no storytelling? So in September, 2020, I launched my business. And over time, the mission and business model has evolved, but I stand here to you today as the individual who really is focused on helping salespeople sell more through the art of story. I love it. You know, a lot of us uh, don't get it right the first time. You know what I mean? And so I'm guessing that's what the business school and the trading floor was for you. 
how did you recognize back then that you weren't in alignment? You know, because obviously you're this like polished speaker now, you know, you can tell that right away. And so, and then a lot of that came from your uh, early childhood and your exposure to entertainment and being in plays and everything. And that's kind of exciting for me too, because my son, my middle son was actually the lead in his play last year uh, really? on Moana. Yeah. And he's, oh, I think wow. he's, he's Finn this year for Frozen or something like that, but he is absolutely the theater geek. He's all about theater, loves being in the play. He loves being the center yeah. of attention, you know? So that's exciting that like, all right, in my head, he's going to be, you know, a famous actor someday or, you know, start on Broadway or something like that. But yeah. who knows, he may end up running the business someday and using those skills to do so, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, bro. Well, actually, we can't just quickly smooth or gloss over the issue that you said middle son. So, Mm-hmm. like bro you do not look this is not even me buttering you up but you do not okay. look old enough to have that many kids man what moisturizer <laughs> are you using bro what, what anti-aging formula have you are you taking every morning we just we just started young man we just started young we started when we were 23 years old so Beautiful. we got we, we got them done early that way when they graduate high school i can still kick their butts you know they're they can't get yeah. one over on their old man yet so hell yeah man hell yeah well my daughter is four and a half months so oh, man, I'm, you're, I'm in the thick you're of the it, thick of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> dude, lack of sleep, all that good stuff. Um, and she's been sick recently. So you know what it's <laughs> like, like the lack of sleep messes with your head, man. But on that topic of really um, where it all comes from, I, I really believe that secretly every single moment is serving you. And at the time, I didn't know what it was going to lead me to. But if I look at the dance school if i look at my best friend's dad who was a playwriter and i didn't know it introducing me into theater with zero acting experience if i look at djing at this awful budget underground radio station which i think like three people were listening to like back in like 24 2015 2016 like i didn't get what all of that was bringing me towards. But if I start to put the pieces together, I feel like it all started to point towards what I'm doing now. And for me, mm-hmm. the speaking side of things where I'm training and doing, delivering workshops, et cetera, it allows me to pull from all of these different areas of my life. And that's what I think is so awesome when we look at our stories where sometimes we feel like they should be linear, meaning we did this, we did that, and we sold our company for a billion dollars, right? But life isn't perfect. So why should your stories be? So I think there's a lot of connection in the imperfection. And I also feel like every single moment is secretly serving uh, serving you. And I think it's for us to find those lessons. I love it. Because even even when you're out of alignment, like you were on the trading floor, that kind of deepens your conviction of what you do next or staying in your passion. You know what I'm saying? So I couldn't agree more that every one of those moments is definitely serving you. So what does life look like now for you? You're married, you've got your four and a half month old daughter. Yeah, man. And then you've got your business. Yeah. What's, what's a typical day look like for you right now? It really depends on how much sleep I get, man. Like it really (laughs) depends. It depends when like last night, you know, she's been sick recently, as I said, so it's been a bit crazy, but Uh um, you know, it's a mixture of the following, I'm very big on, um, focusing on health yourself, because if I'm not healthy, then how can I support others through my business? And how, how can I take care of my family? And I'm very big on alignment, meaning doing things which are all rooted to my mission, which if you look at anything that I focus on, whether it's my podcast or whether it's speaking, whatever it is, it all points towards the mission of really helping people be unapologetic, well, salespeople be unapologetically who they are, right? Without conforming to the norm and disowning Mm -hmm. their values and personality, right? And my vehicle for doing that is storytelling, right? My vehicle and my methodologies for doing that is storytelling. But the, the goal really underneath all of that is somebody saying, yeah, man, you know, when you know, when you delivered that um, piece of training or when you came and did this one-to-one with me, I really mm-hmm. felt like you gave me the permission to just like own who I am and my personality because I'd really feel that's somebody's biggest USP. And I think beyond all the tactics and frameworks that I teach, and we can talk about that, I think fundamentally that is something that holds people back is they try and emulate who they think they should be 
right. or people who they believe are successful and they disown who they are. And that's yeah. the secret source, man. Like that, that energy you bring, no one can replicate that. No, I couldn't agree more. It's like when you first get into sales, it's like, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, it's boiler room. You know what I mean? It's Wolf yeah. of Wall Street type stuff. That's all in your head. And then you see the top salesperson in the company. You're like, oh, I got to be like him or the sales yeah. manager or whatever the case is. Right. And yeah. fundamentally, yes, structure. Yes. You know, maybe even um, the way you overcome objections. But at the end of the day, you got to have that personality in there or else it's going to come across as not not genuine. Right. One of the right. things that uh, I do with sales programs is I don't write scripts and paragraphs or sentences. I write scripts and bullet points, you know, and I've always done that because early on I tried doing the script myself. You know what I mean? I would end up doing this at the door instead of actually interacting and engaging with the customer. And so I said, okay, how can, how can these guys memorize a script without having to read it off, especially in their first couple of weeks. Right. So, I did bullet points. This is the qualifying questions you need to hit. This is the presentation pieces that you need to hit, but the presentation pieces are only based on the qualification, you know? And so we would make sure that they hit the product points, you know what I mean? But everything sprinkled in between would be their personality and then the customer's qualification pieces that they're using in the presentation, right? So a question that I, I guess, maybe this will challenge what you're saying a little bit, but, you know, one of the things that I teach is selling the way customers want to buy, right? So mm. there's four personality types. Maybe you've heard this before. You know, uh, the, the one that I kind of, the training that I use is from uh, Rory Vaden. And he, he worked with uh, Southwestern, I don't know, I'm sorry. Gosh, I forgot the name of the I consulting work, company. Though. I know who you're talking about, Rory. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen his work. I, I like his yeah. stuff. Really like his stuff. So he's got four, four personality types. You've got a fighter, counselor, entertainer, and detective, right? And then you right. sell to them based on their personality type, right? Mm -hmm. Can you still can you still mix in that storytelling in there, or do you find that you have to choose one or the other? So two things here. Number one, I don't think I ever asked you a question about what I do in my average day, but uh, we, we can come back to that because I, I, I yeah. got so hyped up on my mission. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're going to come yeah. back to that. I promise you. Okay. The second thing is just so I understand the question: Are you saying? Um, does storytelling work for all of these types of individuals? Is that what we're saying or something different? So can you, so like with, let me give you an example with a fighter, you want to sell like a detective hmm. because the fighter wants the information, the facts quick. And yeah. so you kind of have to speed up your pitch a little bit, right? Cause a, a fighter doesn't want to be told a story necessarily or the entertainment. so an entertainer tells stories, right? When they pitch, so a detective is the best person to sell a fighter. And so when you run into customers like that, let's just focus on that. Customers that want you to hurry up, get to the point. How do you right. handle them with the, the storytelling piece? Oh, good question, brother. And look, um, I'm, I'm always open to hearing different people's frameworks and methodologies because I think it's really healthy. So mm -hmm. here's how I look at it, man. Um, and I'm going to pull from the research here of Dr. Zoe Chance from Yale. Um, she's a professor over there. Awesome, awesome work. And she's got a book called Influences Your Superpower. And inside of it, she talks about the idea that human beings think that they are rational human beings or okay. individuals most of the time, but that's just not the case. Now, she says that our brain is actually split into two. So she says that we have the gator, aka the alligator, which is unconscious, fast, and intuitive. It's like our first responder, right? And Zoe says that this part of our brain drives 95% of our decisions, the gator, right? Then we've got the judge, which is conscious, which is mm -hmm. slow, which is very deliberate and more logical. Now, it's like being in a courtroom uh, with every single tiny decision of your life. You don't sit and go to the grocery store and say, hmm, look at this bottle of water and look at this bottle of water. Let me feel the label. Let me have a look at like, you wouldn't do that with every decision, right? So what's interesting is, is, she talks about in her book, a study which was done on 1,100 parole decisions of Israeli judges and Doug, the, the results are just insane. So more specifically, they were deciding, these judges were deciding whether prisoners should go back to jail or be released into society. Okay, now get this, when judges were refreshed, 
okay, and they weren't hungry at the start of the day or just after lunch, they would send prisoners back to society around two thirds of the time. These are difficult decisions, right, which took up mental capacity. So think about that for a second. But when they were fatigued, when they were hungry, right, just before lunch, for example, and at the end of the day, the judge part of our minds finds it difficult to make these hard decisions. So what happened? They relied on the first responder and virtually every single person went back to prison, right? So oh, well, the idea here, I suppose, to go back to your question is that people often believe that they are logical. And I get this a lot with people who have decision makers and influencers who are, for example, CFOs, who they're like, get to the numbers, okay? And here's mm -hmm. one um, thing that I like to think about is if you look at the hook inside of your story, okay, how can that hook appeal to that logical decision maker? Well, it could be something very, very focused, which gets straight to the punchline, and then you reverse engineer the story from there, or you provide a hard hitting statistic, which captures that person's attention. So they're more susceptible to hearing that story. But a lot of the time, the beauty is somebody not knowing that you're sharing a story. So if you say, well, Doug, this reminds me of that time when we story, right? Or if, or, or somebody thinks that's a story. Or, Doug, right, if I said to you, let me tell you a story. What happens? You start seizing up and you're like, I don't have 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> right? I, <laughs> I don't have time for this. Exactly. So I think the art really is learning how to embed a story into, say, a demo and doing it in a way that feels seamless. And I've got five steps I can um, talk you through now, but I'm going to pause breath, for, pause for breath for a second. Mm -hmm. What do you think? So I think the the alligator can basically become can alter those personality types a little bit. They may be an alligator initially, yes. but once you loosen them up a little bit, or they may be a fighter initially, once you loosen them up a, a little bit, you might realize that hey, we have a connection here and if I focus in this area, then they're not they're, they're going to at least reduce the fighter front that they have. You know, when you bring yes. that wall down a little bit. I'm and with so that, you, brother. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then if you catch them when they're hangry or you catch them when they're right in the middle of something that that fighter increases in them, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I could see, see how you could kind of uh, bring that wall down and then be able to sell to a fighter through storytelling because it's something that they're actually interested in, you know, at that point. That's right, brother. And, it, and I'm really with you on that. You know, if I look at my childhood, if I was asking my dad for something, the argument that I would have to present would be very different, right? My dad's an accountant, right? So his, it was very numbers driven and it was different. It didn't mean that he wasn't susceptible to storytelling, but my mom was a lot more like, tell me the story, right? And she would really be driven by her gut instinct. So I, do I, I don't believe everybody is exactly the same. I do feel like there's a spectrum and people are mm -hmm. skewed sometimes. But I think what I was trying to, I suppose, get across with that story is, is, the biggest objection is, is storytelling doesn't work for analytical decision makers. And I think that right. is the problem when it's in absolutes. But um, yeah, man, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating world. And when it comes to embedding a story, I talk about a few steps, which sales reps can do. So it doesn't feel like a story. Would you be open to me sharing that with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Is, is that the story selling framework? Um, I've, oh, I've got that and I can, I can actually walk that through, uh, okay. walk you through that in a second. But, um, sure. what, when it comes to the steps though, for actually embedding a story, the first thing okay. I really get people to think about is extracting the villain in a buyer's story. So that's really sitting there being very focused on having a human to human conversation, doing effective discovery and understanding what, not what the pain is, but the underlying root cause, AKA the million dollar problem. And once you've extracted that, it's moving to step two, which is having the prospect admit that that problem exists, understanding and acknowledging the magnitude of it and saying, hey, I actually wanna be helped with this problem because I can tell you what, have you, if you've ever got a friend that you've tried to help and they don't wanna be helped, it's not gonna happen. Right? right. So you need to make sure that they want to be helped. Step three is in asking an open ended question, which requires a story as a response. So I'll give an example, Doug, Doug, if I told you, or if I asked you the question, Hey man, how long have you struggled with that challenge? You'd say one year, two years, three years. Right. But if I said, Doug, man, can you tell me about the moment where you were like, Whoa, this is a big problem for me. 
so now you're going to give me a story as a response because your mind is going back in time to that moment. And now you're going to deliver that to me. And then I follow up with a follow-up question, right? As step four, to go deep in something that I picked up. Maybe it's a nonverbal cue. And when you said the word CFO, your CFO, I could see in your tone that there was something there. Like, tell me more about that. What, how's that relation going? Whatever it could be. Like something that you've picked up on, which makes them feel understood. Then, then you move to sharing, for example, a 90 second customer success story, which is about somebody who has a similar DNA to them that you've helped go from pain to glory. So you've got to be very mindful of when you share a story versus, oh my God, yeah, I've experienced that. When we help my, whoa, I've got to right. think about the right time. So yeah, that, that's my process for embedding a story. Yeah, there's, when you just hit them with the, oh, we could solve that. There's no empathy there. You know what it's I mean? Yeah. And and that's the way most people respond is like, oh, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a rebuttal for that. You know, I hate using the word rebuttal because the way it comes off of the tongue, you know what I mean? It's rebuttal. So it's like rebuke. It's very similar to rebuke. That's the last thing you want to do to a prospect, right? Yeah, bro. And and look, I mean, I've, uh, my, the way I think about selling has shifted so much over the years. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we need to know, we need to experience bad to know what good looks like. Do you know what I mean? Like, otherwise you don't know what good looks like. And it's really funny. Um, Going back on that point of just hitting somebody with something, Doug, imagine after this conversation, right? Mm-hmm. You call me tomorrow and you're like, Rad, man, listen, I didn't want to tell you yesterday, but I feel like I can talk to you about this. But man, there's something going on with my wife, man. Like, there's like, we've just not been getting on recently. And da da da. And I go, I don't ask any questions. I just say, Doug, I remember when I went through something similar. You'd be like, Whoa, this isn't about you, man. Like, right. I'm coming to you. Uh, like divulging this information i want to feel heard by you so it's very similar in a sales process somebody divulges their deepest darkest problems and you just start making it about you it's going to create a disconnect and and we you know it it, it's in our it's in our human dna to help others right and so too often we try and help others by saying well i did this or i did that instead of just listening first right it's, it's the classic husband and wife tale. Husband's always trying to solve the problem. Wife's just trying to get somebody to listen to her, right? And so I think that applies to that mentor, mentor, or mentee relationship too. Or somebody reaches out to you for help and you immediately try and solve their problem instead of like, hey, let's live in this a little bit so we can experience that pain. And that way the glory is going to be that much greater, especially with customers. You know, we, we talk about kind of increasing the pain a little bit or turning up the pain a little bit to, to make sure they know, hey, what are we really solving here? It's not a price or a feature, like you said earlier. It's like, we're, we're going to get rid of this pain. Or we're going to turn this pain way down to where it's a lot more manageable, right? And that's how we're going to sell the customer. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The way I think about it is illuminating the villain. Meaning, mm-hmm. if I come to your house, Doug, Okay, I'm driving in my drop top past your house and I go, hello, Mr. Mitchell. My name is Ravi Rajani. I'm a fire extinguisher salesperson. Would you like to buy a fire extinguisher for a thousand bucks? You're like, I don't need one, man. I don't need one. You slam the door in my face. Okay. The next day I'm driving past your house, Doug, and I see that the, uh, the bush in your garden is on fire. I knock on your door. I'm like, yo, Doug, do you remember me from yesterday? Take a look to your left. The bush in your garden's on fire. You're like, mm-hmm. snap, have you still got that fire extinguisher? How much is it? Because now you can see the problem that it exists and you can understand the magnitude of what's going to happen if it's not solved. So I like the idea of tilting your prospect's head to the left to help mm-hmm. them illuminate it. And I think the funny thing, which um, a lot of people often don't think about, and whether this stat is true and whether it holds much uh, value, I don't know, but I see it everywhere, which is only 3% of buyers are ready to buy today. And I don't know who said it, but everybody talks about it, right? And Mm -hmm. if you really think about it, we're trying to make people abide by our sales process in our timeline versus focusing on their buying experience. Because not everybody's a buyer today, man. So why are right. we trying to persuade? We should, I think we should be focused on influence. Yeah, and if they are a buyer in two weeks, 
And you keep getting that buyer in two weeks with every customer in two weeks, you're going to have a buyer every day. You know what I'm saying? So it's not, exactly. you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I come from door to door sales. We it's buy or die. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was, but obviously over my career, I've been introduced to different concepts like some of the ones that you're introducing today. So let's get into that a little bit and talk about yeah, this uh, story selling framework. I saw it on your website. I'm very curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I like to think about it, Doug, is when it comes to embedding storytelling mm -hmm. into sales teams um, and inside of their process, the problem happens is, oh, so is the problem that arises is leaders know that storytelling is important. They do actually believe, in my opinion, that the best sellers are incredible storytellers. But the problem is they don't know how to replicate those storytellers. They don't know how to create a repeatable process for actually taking an, an SDR or an account exec and transforming them into an authentic storyteller that doesn't just focus on this one time at Bandcamp, right? Because this isn't storytelling around a campfire. This is storytelling, which should inspire prospects to take action. So I have something called my story selling framework and story is an acronym, uh, Doug. I nearly said Greg. I was like, who's Greg? Uh, Doug. So S stands for simplifying storytelling in a sales context, meaning really what is the definition of story selling? And what's a use case? What's a case study? What's a mission statement? What's a story? What are the key ingredients for it? I really go through that. And we can touch upon that in a second, Greg. Uh, Greg, why do I keep saying Greg? I don't know, man. <laughs> Doug, Doug, I don't know why I say Greg. I guess um, I look like a Greg. <laughs> yeah, you must, man. Why do I keep saying that? So anyway, Doug, right? So um, what I then get people to really think about, Doug, is T. After they've done that is T, which is tactically create your story bank. And what I get people to think about here is there are so many stories you can share, but which ones are the ones that are truly going to move the needle forward for you in a recession? Now, I think for sellers individually, outside of the founder's story, the product story, you know, the company creation story, why we're different, not the ones that the company create for you, but a seller, an actual individual seller, an IC, I think there's five real key stories that they can share now which can be really impactful. Now, the first story is an elevator story if you want to hook somebody. The second story is your personal story if you want to develop real deep connection. The third one is a story which accelerates trust, which is a customer success story. The fourth is one which reverses resistance before it arises, which is a story which handles objections. And then the final one is really helping a conversion which is not the ROI, but the cost of inaction story, which is, I think is very important in a, in a climate where people are often not in fight or flight, but they're in freeze where they don't want to do anything. They're scared to right. do anything and rip up the status quo. So if you think about those stories, I get people to pick one. And normally it begins with the elevator story. Why? Because I think a lot of teams struggle with congruent messaging because that's really the North Star. So mm -hmm. we get people focused on that. I get people focused on that. And then we move to O, which is obtain delivery mastery. And what I get them to focus on there is, okay, we've crafted it, but how can you deliver it in a way that's authentic, conversational, and magnetic, right? And that's very similar to like Hollywood. You think about it, doing a table read, right? I'm doing a, I'm working on a founder story right now for a company based in Atlanta, who um, are a metals marketplace, really fascinating. And for them, we're crafting the founder's story. And then I'm having a table read with the entire leadership team, right? And we're going to read it. And then we're going to teach the team. I'm going to teach the team how to deliver it, right? And after we've worked out the kinks. And then we move to R, which is ramp your MVP story. So we don't take all five stories to market. We take one. Mm -hmm. Okay, we take one, we take it to market, we test, we tweak, we iterate in low stakes scenario. So we're ready for why, which is yield term long success, uh, sorry, yield long term sales success, where you take that story, craft more, and you go out there and you deliver them in high stakes scenarios. And that's really where, for example, I could be listening to a gong call or a call recording of somebody delivering it in the field and really talking them through, hey, what do you think you did well? What could we have done differently and how do we tweak it for the future? And this results in really every rep having their very own story bank. But 
leaders having a process which they can walk through again and again without needing me. Yeah, this is fantastic. And so is this one of your, I mean, obviously it is, it's a, a product that you're, you have as part of your consulting company. Kind of break that up for me a little bit. What does this process look like when you instill this uh, story selling framework into a company? Is it 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, or what does that engagement look like? The answer is yes. Meaning, okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. Meaning it really, it's really tricky. It depends. And I'll tell you why. I, I look at it in terms of phases, because if somebody tried to do all of that in one week, they're never going to do it, right? right? So I like to think about it in phases. So phase one for a leader would be, for example, discovery. Well, they'll mm -hmm. figure out, hey, what is storytelling in a sales context? They get a, they get a micro win. They get a focus on really the key ingredients for storytelling and uh, an understanding for their reps of what it could look like for them inside of the sales process. Some love that and they go, I'm done, right? That, that, that's it. Like that's, that's great for us. And then we would move on to implementing more of the other phases. But really, it depends on the individual goal, what that person wants to achieve and what they've already got. Like, for example, for a lot of companies who don't have their messaging on point yet, they don't know their values, they really have got a lot of internal turmoil for whatever reason it might be. Like, there's no point in coming to me just yet. I tell them like, there's no point. There's a lot of things that company may need to do before mm. they look at this specific scope of work, but others, you know, they may want to refresh. They may want to refine their messaging for a recession and there's so much they can do. But for example, if you are a company that doesn't have product market interest, let alone product market fit, you investing in something like this would do you a disservice. Cause I think there's plenty of other things you can do right now, right. but a story that would help, somebody at that period of time is a founder story and an mm -hmm. elevator story. So you could pick that out and put it into that stage of the process, but implementing the entire thing for like a founder led salesperson, you would only need parts of it. You wouldn't need the entire framework if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, when I look at an, an offer in terms of consulting and everything, you know, it's usually like an all the cart type deal. You know what I mean? But I love that yours comes in phases and it makes a lot of sense. It's like, okay, this is 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and this is the time it's going to take. Yep. hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Like the team I'm working with right now, um, over, I told you in Atlanta, that business for them, it's the founder story that we're starting with because that's their North star. They're going to share that in investor decks. Their salespeople will share it in presentations and their leadership team will share it in interviews. Then I'm going to teach their team and sell us how to deliver it then we're going to move on to those different stories inside of the sales process and one by one craft them, teach the reps how to deliver it, embed them in the sales process, next story. So we're like, that's how we're going to be doing it for this company, um, which, you know, is great for them, but that may not be great for everybody. So this whole time I was thinking, you know, story, story selling was more about the individual rep, but a lot of it is about the company and the founder story and, that uh, elevator pitch for the individual rep. And then I guess that's the 3.0 and the 4.0 is those reps getting their own stories based on the customers that they service or their own experiences with the product. Yeah, man, really good question. So I think from a company perspective, the idea is if you create a founder story, then the reps can personalize pockets of it and mm -hmm. make it their own and deliver it. But that for me, what's very important is like, for example, I've taken a 90 minute interview with their CEO, right? And put it into a specific story arc and crafted it with the leadership team in a very specific way. So that there, a rep to do that on their own, it would be, it would be a bit tricky for them, which is why I tried to separate right. them. So for example, the founder story, the why we're different story, the product story, I think it's great for companies to do that. Mm -hmm. and then trickle it down to individual sellers. But for a seller right now, right, they could easily take one of their case studies or use cases and just say, you know what, I'm going to, I don't need approval internally for whatever. I can just take this. I'm going to turn it into a customer success story. Or yeah. I'm going to take Ravi's elevator pitch framework and mm -hmm. I'm going to actually turn it into something I could use on my discovery calls or when I'm yeah. at a networking event. So there's, there's low, there's low friction with those individual stories because there's not approvals or stuff that's really needed. Mm -hmm. 
So, so many consultants and coaches and trainers, they're like, okay, you're purchasing me and um, mm. me being at your location or on the phone with you is what you're getting charged for basically. And I'm going to kind of spitball from there, but you created an actual framework. And I, and I did something similar, which is why I appreciate your work. And yeah, uh, mine, mine's called Kodak and it's around building sales teams, right? It's compensation opportunity development operations and culture and i focus on that i audit it we work on it over the next 90 days and then we end with a finished sales program right yeah, yeah. so when did you realize that hey i need a i need a framework for this i need to develop something and then and then what was your inspiration for it i mean how did you put this together i guess it's a good question man and by the way i want to hear about your framework in a second i'm curious about that um mm -hmm. Where did I l learn the idea of putting things in this way? Well, I remember it was about February 2018, maybe March 2018. And in a previous life, I was launching at that time a career coaching program, right? Okay. And I had a mentor who was teaching me how to do this. And he was helping me build out this webinar. And inside of that webinar, one of the things was really taking people through your proprietary process and okay. really teaching people how they can go from where they are now to where they want through a system versus we're easy to use. We're seamless. Right. We're, right? You know yeah. what I mean? So <laughs> what I really started to learn more about was how people need to be focused on a specific outcome. Mm -hmm. through a vehicle versus you do this, then you do this, you do that. Like that's not a secret right. source. Every company has a secret source. You just got to figure out yours. So if I, if I look back at it now, I feel like that was a significant moment where I consciously started looking at it. You know, we've all been taught what's your USP. How do you put it together? We've all been doing mm -hmm. that for a long time. And I think consciously I started to think about it and look at it differently. And then, over in the business, my business model changed over time. But mm -hmm. what I really started to learn more about was my clients' problems, what they were struggling with, um, the process for going from A to B to D to E, mm -hmm. and how to separate that into phases. Because I think sometimes really less is more. Because I think yes. the goal is not how smart one can look as a speaker or a consultant. It's what is a transformation that somebody can get? So that's why if I look at like, for example, a one hour presentation, the goal isn't to teach somebody how to run a 26 mile marathon. It's to teach right. them how to run their first mile. So they have the inspiration and momentum to run the next five to then eventually run 26. So yeah. I can't actually, you know, remember the exact moment where I was like scribbling down the acronym, but I felt like it was a phased approach, which the consciousness of my topic and learnings as that started to consistently increase this does. Mm -hmm. And I can guarantee in like a couple of years time that would have increased even more, right? Because, Hey, you're a, you're a different version of you, but in this season of my life, um, this, this framework, I really, really think can support a lot of people. Actually, I know can support a lot of people. No, I love it. Cause it, it, it is very polished and you could tell it's well thought out and comes from experience. Right. And so, you know, I ran my sales org for, 12 years before I came up with Kodak and oh wow once I came up with it it took me like 30 minutes to write it out because yeah. I have been doing it for the past 12 years and I and yeah I always had this visual of all these salespeople going into this machine and then coming out making a bunch of money and achieving their goals on the other side of the machine you know mm -hmm. or recruits I should say coming in on one side and then on the other side all these sales and everybody achieving their goals and getting to buy the things that they want and become the people yeah. that they want to become right and I was like, what is this machine? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and how, how can I create it? You know? And then when I started looking at consulting and I had people asking me for my help with stuff, I was like, okay, I've got to create a framework in order for them to understand why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and suggesting the things that I'm suggesting. Right. And that framework was Kodak. And I so the, the original, I guess, audit was probably when I had, you know, I had 13 different offices. And so I would audit each one. And um, so I walk in with my clipboard and my worksheet, you know, and everything. And I had these things that I would check off. And what I realized is that was the very beginning of Kodak. It was me making sure that, okay, the, the comp plan's in line where it should be based on the market. 
based on the products that they're selling. The uh, opportunity structure is there. It's not just about, okay, how much money can they make? It's about how can they get promoted to the next level, get into leadership, get into management or higher ticket products, right? And then uh, development, all right, we're not just teaching them how to sell and teaching them how to lead. We're developing them as people, as humans, right? We're teaching them how to open up an LLC because a lot of times they were 1099 salespeople. We're teaching them taxes. We're teaching them budgeting, uh, 21 rules of money. I love that one. That's a uh, Ryan Stuman's creation, right? And um, so we're actually developing them as individuals and then the operations piece. And this is probably what I'm finding is where I spend my most time is in operations when I'm consulting for another company because they don't, they don't have the recruiting engine to bring in the salespeople or the auditing engine to do the surveys for the people that go right back out the door. You know what I mean? And then they don't have typically uh, a proper fulfillment process or they're not measuring metrics, you know what I mean? In terms of churn rate, cancel rate, um, how quickly the product's getting fulfilled, customer satisfaction rate. They don't have it all in an easy to read metric sheet. And then the last piece is culture, right? All those things feed the culture, right? Because when the machine's running well, the, 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 the culture is naturally amazing, but you do have to have intentional culture too, right? Whether it be team nights, you know, logo t-shirts, you know, the core values, the mission statement that those have to be present and part of everyday life in the business, you know? And so basically I'm, when I start with the company, I audit that. And that's what I use as my framework. Hey, we're going to walk through your compensation. We're going to walk through your opportunity. You know what I mean? Auditing each piece. And then I give them an after action report. And that's what we work on typically for the next 30 to 90 days, depending on their engagement. That's kind of how it's structured. And how does it feel for you having something which you know really gets results because you've validated it over those decade plus or 12 years worth of work. How does it feel for your level of conviction and confidence when you're sharing that in a discovery call? It's just, this is going to sound terrible, but I, I hope you feel the same way. It's just like, it's law at this point. You know what I mean? That's how it feels. It's like, it's not that it came from me either. It came from, you know, probably 30 plus team leads and managers and, and, and salespeople over that time that all contributed to this thing. You can see in my, you know, a lot of the documents that I'll share and templates and stuff that I, okay, this is like, if I'm just helping someone out and I get on an hour call with them, I'm like, Hey, you need an opportunity structure. I'll share one of my old opportunity structures. And then you'll see at the bottom, the authors of that opportunity structure. It's always myself, typically my uh, ex-partner, that was in the business as well. And then maybe like one or two managers that contributed to that opportunity structure that huddled around and we worked on it together. You know what I'm saying? And doing that different products, different campaigns over time, over and over again, kind yeah. of just hones in what that should look like and the key elements in it. I think the beautiful thing that you just mentioned, which I hope everybody picked up on as well, is like you said the opportunity structure that you once had it was still useful to somebody and i'm mm -hmm. a victim of this man where i'm always updating my methodologies yep. and things and i think oh my god this is like five versions ago who would want this but it's still valuable for people and this is the thing like i guarantee if you and i connected in a year's time i'd be like dude this is what i upgraded in my methodology yeah. and i think that's the coolest thing about it um because the work is never done and you kind of always feel like a researcher because you're just going deeper and refining a hundred percent. And I love it because every, every company that I get to work with, I learn something from them too. You know, yeah. and I get to take that with me. Um, one of the companies I'm, I'm working with now has a structure called juice for their meetings. Oh, yeah. Have you heard tell of that? No, no tell well, I wish I could, but you just have to see it. <laughs> you know, okay. I mean? right. it's just, it, it's a high energy. Basically they're going over their numbers from the day before, but they're doing it in this structure called juice. And like anytime that they say something positive, everybody in the room says juice by that, you know, what I mean? right, it's, okay. it's so much fun. But he sent me the, uh, the training on it the other day. And I'm like, dude, I am a hundred percent stealing this. You know what I'm saying? And right. so, uh, but anyways, uh, yeah, I love, I love auditing, you know, those sales programs and kind of learning from them too. And like you said, it's all every day is research, right? Mm. So what, uh, what's next for you? And your business, what are you, what are you guys up to? I'm somebody who, you know, as my daughter was born, 2nd of September, 2022, mm -hmm. 
it shifted me in ways I didn't really realize at the time. And I think I'm still realizing different ways I was shifted. But mm -hmm. for me, what's very important is really figuring out and constantly evolving my version of what success means to me. Now, if you had asked me when I was in my early 20s, right, Doug, I would have said like, yeah, man, it's money, it's this, it's that, right? And right. Um, as I've evolved, as I've got deeper into learning more about myself, have self-awareness around what truly lights me up, for me, it's always around like building a life that you truly love lights you up and that gives you energy now i'm big on energy man and because i love speaking so much if i speak to an audience and i'm building something which i secretly hate you're gonna know for my energy right yeah. you're gonna be like this dude ain't living his best life man so my right. focus is on you know really right now is constantly focusing on doing things and operating in a way which just raises my energy so that's being around the right mentors so for example you that. asked me where did i think about um having a proprietary process, every mentor I've ever worked with is like, man, let's, let's find, let's refine, let's keep going deeper into the process, et cetera. So like all these little things I've picked up from different people. So it's hiring mentors in the right areas of my life that I care about. Number two is all is also one thing I'm focused on right now is how I spend my time. So I listened to this incredible podcast episode by um, a guy called Rob Dyrdek and oh. Ed Milet. I don't know if you know um, yeah. his work. Yeah, his work. So he was talking about his 24 hours in a day and he yeah. split up his 24 hours a day into percentages of where he wants to spend his time, health, yeah. work. And I was so inspired. I was like, I'm going to do the same. So I started like, and I've, and I've thought about this before, obviously, but not this level of like in, intensity. So I started looking at it and being like, okay, how many hours do I want to spend on my health? And what do I want to do in those hours? How am I going to craft it? How much do I actually want to spend on work? And what am I doing right now, which is actually moving the needle forward? So it's really just focusing me on getting, not adding more, but getting more focused and doing the right things in more depth. Because I think sometimes in today's world, shiny object syndrome is real. We want to do this. We want to do that. But for me, I'm very focused on deeper on a few things and being somebody who is a successful human being. That is the goal versus just great in business, right? Because I don't want to look back, man, and be like, my health is poor. I, did, I wasn't present with my wife and, and kid and like, like everything else is great. It's like, really? Really? Right. Like I remember I was in Chicago. I was speaking at a sales kickoff last week in Chicago mm -hmm. and I was there and I was in this hotel at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., right? Because I was trying to stick with the UK time zone oh, and I was geez. sitting there typing away, right? Yeah, exactly. Crazy. And I was sitting typing away because I was getting ready for my keynote in a couple of hours. And I just looked around. And I'm like, it's dark. It's silent. But man, I miss my dog. I miss my wife and the baby, man. Like it's, um, it's like success is cool, right? When you get yeah. to do the things you love, that's what I think about success. And in that moment, I was doing something I loved. And I was like, man, but if I was just doing it for myself, how boring would that be? Like I was really excited to tell my wife about it, go home and just, mm -hmm. yeah, see the, uh, see the little one. So yeah, man, looking at select success in a more holistic way, continuing to learn more about myself and go deeper into joy and alignment man what about you what are you focused on i mean it's a lot of a lot of the same things right and taking that step from all right i'm gonna start not exiting but winding down my sales organizations and my sales teams and really going all in on consulting was really about that it was my own my own health you know what i'm saying because i've been doing this for so long my i, I can honestly say my heart wasn't in it anymore not for yeah. me at least you know because i had you know, I had joined a few masterminds two years ago and they've impacted oh, cool. me hugely. And, and that's when I started focusing on the things that you're talking about right now, which is, all right, how much time am I going to spend every day on my health? You know, I started meditating and I started spending more time in the Bible and in prayer. And yeah. um, I started really focusing on, okay, well, well, what makes me happy and what brings that, like you said, that energy level up? Because if that energy level is high, it's going to happen naturally. You're going to be better at what you do and you're going to get paid more at the end of the day right and because time is our only uh asset that we really really care about how can i get paid more for my time you know and uh, i think at the time in my business i was making 500 an hour roughly right and so i was like okay i need to get paid more for my time if i'm going to do consulting let me just double that let me make sure that if i'm spending that time on consulting it's at a thousand an hour and then of course i put together an 
a structure and everything. And that goes yeah. down with the time you spend with me. But at, at the end of the day, I was like, I've, let's just see if this works. You know what I'm saying? Can I bring enough value to that hour? And I ended up on the phone with clients for an hour and a half. And then I'm, you know, sending them uh, sample uh, opportunity structures, comp plans, scope of work, everything for them to be able to use. They're coming back to me in a week and like, hey, can I get another hour? Like I've gotten so much from this, you know what I mean? So it was like validation. And then I went out to a one day consulting job with other consultants and uh, just more and more and more validation. And I was like, okay, this is what I need to be doing. This is what I need to be spending my time on. Because again, that energy level is high. People can feel that. They can see it. And then they want more of it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Is how it happens naturally, I feel like. And yeah, when you get in your late 30s, you start realizing like, hey, I need to tweak all these things so that I, I can be truly present in everything that I'm doing because I am, I am truly present because I love what I'm doing. I'm passionate about it. You know what I mean? Dude. Versus, hey, this thing makes me money. You know, <laughs> that's no fun for anybody. That's energy draining for sure. Brother, you know, like I just turned uh, 34 in December. Okay. And it's really interesting. Like the exact idea is like, you know, what does success look like for me in this season of my life? And man, I see a lot of people who, you know, for example, have financial success like crazy financial success but dude mm -hmm. they're so deeply unhappy and they're they're financially rich but spiritually emotionally and physically broke and i'm like 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 I, it's like what for like it's like and by the way this is coming from somebody who has been through a journey of like what's important to me and whatnot but right. sometimes i think like oh, questioning why we're doing things is mm -hmm. actually quite important. And sometimes the answers are ugly, man. So yeah. <laughs> the answers are ugly, but uh, I'm with you, bro. And I think that's awesome to hear. And um, it's cool to well, see that you're on your own journey as, you, as you're as you doing, uh, you, you've got all your different ventures that you're working on. It sounds like it's going to be a really interesting year for you, man. Yeah, it is. It's the first year that I've done this full time. So I'm crazy excited about it. And I was somewhat forced into it, you know, which was just, I feel like God at work 100%. So one of the, the questions I like to ask at the end of the podcast, um, yeah. and this is uh, my own study, I guess you could say, okay. and I actually speak on this uh, in uh, a speech about building an intentional legacy. Uh, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? Brother, I, I've got a call in literally 60 seconds. So I'm going to be quick, brother. I'm going to be so, okay. so quick with you. Okay, so here's here's what I would say in terms of, the legacy I want to leave behind is a very good question. And the answer that this version of myself right now would give you is that people who came in contact with me and my energy felt so inspired by it because it gave them the permission to show up as who they really are versus who they think they should be or who others want them to be. That would be it. All right, brother. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been amazing. So much that I went over on time. Uh, good luck on your next call and uh, I'll be in touch with you. Thanks, brother. See you on the other side. All right, let's get building. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to execute on what you just heard and let's get building. As always, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts. You can also head on over to buildinggreatsalesteams.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. See you next time.